The views and opinions expressed on Analyze This are entirely those of the on-air participants and do not reflect those of the station's board, management, staff, or underwriters. Good morning, everyone. This is Dwayne Henry filling in for Neville James, and this is Analyze This on 93.1, your NPR station on the Virgin Islands. Um, also available on the NPR up app or the WTGX app if you're having uh, issues with the transmission or reception, rather. Uh, <clears throat> this morning, we have a couple of guests. Well, in our first hour, we're going to be speaking with um, an environmentalist, environmental scientist, and we're going to be uh, talking about the 1973, or rather 1974 Safe Water Drinking Act and the recent incidents on St. Croix with the uh, brown water and with the um, apparent um, presence of lead and copper in the drinking water supply here on St. Croix. Uh, the, I want the public to understand the two different issues. They're not the same. Uh, so we shouldn't conflagrate them. And then also that uh, the show today is intended to, it's as we always do here on Analyze This, it's intended to be educational, not, we're not picking one side or the other. We're gonna provide some information to the, to the public as to how this whole thing works. And uh, uh, you know, to give some background, and um, and also to d discuss uh, possible remedial actions uh, that can be taken by the entities or the stakeholders that uh, that are responsible for drinking water in the Virgin Islands, and also that can be taken by members of the community who are affected by this uh, potable water um, situation. So there's going to be, it could get a little technical at times this morning, but we're we trying to um, provide information in a way that uh, uh, almost everybody can understand and um, or at least um, walk away with a better understanding of what the issues are and um, what they need to do to protect themselves. You know, water is a basic um, commodity of life. You look at the hierarchy of... of um, of life uh, at the top is, is uh, self-actualization, at the bottom is food and water and shelter. And so it's a very important issue. Uh, we we want to make sure that this issue is resolved uh, quite quickly or as quickly as we can. And if the systemic issues that, that are causing these problems are going to take a while to to, uh, to, 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 to resolve, then we should have uh, measures, interim measures in place to ensure that the public is protected and the system is protected. So um, in a few minutes, we will have our guests calling in and um, I'll introduce her and uh, most of you <laughs> um, know her already. And we're gonna, um, she's uh, quite knowledgeable on the subject, and I asked her to come on to the show today to, to educate the public on several things. 
uh, what are the, the what we're going to be talking about is uh, we're going to do a short summary of the uh, Safe Drinking Water Act of 1974, description of WAPA's obligations under the act, regulatory role of the PNR, regulatory role of US EPA, a description of the sampling, a short summary of the October 12th results. Then we're going to talk about possible remedial actions by government entities and by individuals and landlords. And good morning, Senator. Good morning, attorney. How are you? I'm doing well. Ladies and gentlemen, we have former Senator Alicia Barnes um, joining us this morning to speak on all those topics that I uh, spoke about. Uh, most of you know uh, Senator Barnes, uh, your former Senator Barnes, and, and she was also the Commissioner of the uh, Department of Planning and Natural Resources, and she um, also worked in the, the, was responsible for the water, uh, the the lab, the the uh, integrity of the, the water system at, at WAPA at one point, and um, I think she's specially qualified to to speak on these issues today, and, and and being a disinterested party since she's not in government service any longer, and and her, does not have any contracts with the entities that um, I'm noted. So, Senator Barnes, welcome, and. Um, Thank you, Attorney Henry. Yes, go ahead. Good morning to you and good morning to the listening audience. Um, This is truly a pleasure. Um, I think in this particular context, um, um, it's best to probably highlight my role as former DPNR commissioner, Mm -hmm. as well as manager for the Water and Power Environmental Manager at the Water and Power Authority. And um, I actually under the environmental department uh, a portion of the drinking water monitoring program um, fell under um, the supervision of the environmental department but the lab did have um, supervisors one on St. Croix one on St. Thomas and then based on the agency structure um, fell under the environmental department at one point in time when I served as environmental manager. Great. And then full disclosure, I want everybody to know that what uh, I worked myself at DPNR as their attorney, one of their attorneys for five years. And uh, I think two of those years was uh, you were the assistant commissioner and then the commissioner uh, as well. So I was one of your attorneys that, uh, down there at DPNR. And then I also worked with you at the legislature as a chief policy advisor. But I've right. known you for many, many, many years. And um, we do have a, a, I think we, we had a, a, a great working experience done at DPNR. And if I sound passionate on the issues, because I have worked on these issues for, for um, many years. And um, so I, um, I feel it's very important to, for the public. So, um, Right. Mm-hmm. And you're uniquely um, and intimately familiar um, with the with the issue and so the passion you know translates and it's definitely um quite apropos actually thank you uh why'd you um start off by telling us what what is this safe drinking water act okay In a so nutshell. Basically, basically you know um the as as anything in government you're regulated via it starts with an act in congress on the federal level 
on the local level, it would begin with an, an act of the legislature, uh, a, a bill, and then um, signing into law by the, the governor and then becoming an act. So the Safe Drinking Water Act is just that. It's an act of Congress. It was established in 1974 and acted in 1974. And since then, it was amended in 1986 and in 1996. Mm -hmm. And it is an act um, that requires the Environmental Protection Agency to set standards for drinking water quality um, in all of the states and territories. And the act in itself um, establishes minimum standards to protect tap water, and it requires all owners or operators of public water systems to comply with what is called primary health-related standards. And so basically, it's an act of Congress, the Safe Drinking Water Act, and it is um, mandated, it mandates certain um, safe levels for the consumption of portable water to ensure that public public health is protected and safeguarded. Um, in the context of the Safe Drinking Water Act and any other act, be it the, the Clean Air Act, the Clean Water Act, EPA has a mandate. And the way EPA fulfills this mandate is that it delegates the authority of the mandate to certain states and various jurisdictions because the EPA can't be everywhere all the time. So the manner in which the EPA um, delegates or ensures that its mandates are being met, they delegate authority to state environmental agencies. In our case, it will be DPNR and provide funding to run the program to ensure that the requirements or the mandates of the Safe Drinking Water Act are met. Good. And so here in uh, the, the DPNR, we actually have an office uh, down in the Environmental Protection Division. And that's, right. that's called Public Water or something's called? It's called the Public Water System Supervision Program. And again, it's housed in the Department of Planning and Natural Resources, specifically in the Division of Environmental Protection. And so that particular program has delegated authority from the EPA to ensure that public water systems in the Virgin Islands are, are in compliance with the requirements of the Safe Drinking Water Act. And they're able to do this through a series of ongoing monitoring um, at specific frequencies um, to ensure that certain um, parameters are met and are not exceeded. And then they supervise um, public water systems to ensure that the public water systems are also doing the appropriate monitoring to ensure that those systems are in compliance with safe drinking water standards. And it's important to note that um, public water systems don't, or don't only apply to the public sector, per se, uh -huh. um, even though you have the word public in it. Uh -huh. If you are a condo owner and you are supplying water um, to a certain population amount, 
Mm-hmm. You have to also, you are also monitored by DPNR. You also have to meet the requirements of the Safe Drinking Water Act and ensure that the water that you're providing to your residents comply with the um, guidelines and the parameters of the act. Um, let's take another example, Housing Authority. There was at one point in time where Housing Authority was supplying you know, um, water to the residents through maybe they had cisterns activated. Mm-hmm. Um, again, they would have to ensure that their um, water that they're supplying, because it's a certain number of customers, they would also have to ensure that their water supply meets the requirements of the Safe Drinking Water Act. Of course, in the Virgin Islands, our largest um, and the entity that we're talking about this morning is the Water and Power Authority um, in terms of the potable water distribution um, in the territory. Right. And, and, and you know, even though um, I wanted to, to be clear also that uh, even though, uh, uh, say, a, a condo or an apartment, a large apartment complex like, say, Harborview, uh, which is privately owned, uh, they might be purchasing water from WAPA and and redistributing it, they still have to, they can't just rely on WAPA's management. They, they got to monitor themselves. Right. They, right. they have a responsibility as well because they're, they're serving a certain population mm-hmm. or amount of persons. And so they have to ensure um, that that delivery, because if they may have it in a catchment, if it's mm-hmm. metered, it's right. one thing. Mm-hmm. But if they're then having a catchment and then redistributing mm-hmm. it, then they have to um, ensure that certain standards are met. Right. And so some um, developments have made a determination to just have probably have it metered individually right. and not be responsible for that particular component. <laughs> um, or, but again, if in fact they are let's say, serving a certain population, um, there would be a requirement um, if it's not individually metered to WAPA. Right. And and then uh, it also includes, like, some some large hotels. I know uh, the Buccaneer has their own uh, system, don't they? Right. So then, um, again... And Coakley Bay has an RO system, too. Right. So any public supply system would have to ensure compliance with the Safe Drinking Water Act. And again, that's delegated by the EPA to DPNR and the program that administers the requirements or the mandates of the Safe Drinking Water Act in the territory is the public water um, supervision system. Right. And, and uh, they have enforcement authority in terms of fines and, and, and or, or administrative Absolutely. orders? Yeah. Correct. Um, Delegated authority not only speaks to the issue of monitoring, um, also speaks to the issue of enforcement. Now, it's important to note, Dwayne, as you know this, but it's important for the the listening audience to know that notwithstanding EPA's delegated authority to DPNR Mm -hmm. under the requirements of the Safe Drinking Water Act or the Clean Air Act, or the Clean Water Act, the EPA can still um, mm-hmm. impose um, <laughs> their um, enforcement action, their monitoring, you know, because delegated authority does not abdicate, 
abdicate rather um, EPA's authority in this particular space. Mm-hmm. EPA has just simply said, because we can't be everywhere at all times, the best way to administer our program is to partner with mm-hmm. local entities, that, uh, in this case, DPNR, and delegate certain authorities to the state so that the program can be appropriately administered. Right. It's so funny you must be a mind reader because that that was going to be my next uh, question to ask you to make it clear that EPA, EPA delegates, it doesn't abdicate. You know, Correct. Yeah. Correct. And, and, um, Correct. And, and many, many times, especially when you have large populations, you remember the, the um, portable water system at St. Croix serves 13,000 people, 25% of the population at St. Croix. Uh, which is estimated to be 41,000 under the 2020 census. So we're looking at, uh, you know, when you see sizable potential violations like that, EPA tends to um, go ahead and, and, and they work along with the local agency. They're not like kicking the local agency to the curb, but they, but they take a special interest um, in, in the matter. Right. I mean, again, it, 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 Still, you know, EPA, as you as you rightfully stated, as we both stated, delegates authority. They don't abdicate it. So that's, you know, a, a clear distinction that needs to be made. And so they still have the regulatory authority um, to monitor, to issue reports, to even um, um have certain enforcement actions. Mm-hmm. In, in most instances, EPA does work um, as a partner mm-hmm. with the um, local um, delegated um, agency, in this case, DPNR. Right, right. Uh, so we understand, I think we got a good understanding, DPNR's role, um, right. e- US right. EPA's role. Uh, and, and, it's, and it's important to note, Dwayne, if I may, that this is an ongoing, um, this is an ongoing structure right. that has been in place okay. for from the time the program was stood up okay. in DPNR. Mm-hmm. Okay, and hold that thought. Hold that thought. We're gonna take a break and we'll be right back. Sure, sure. Okay, Thank thanks. you. at Bank of St. Croix. Bank of St. Croix offers CDs for education, homes, or vacations. Bank of St. Croix has two locations, one in Gallus Bay at 340-773-8500 and one in Peter's Rest at 340-713-8500. A penalty might be imposed for early withdrawal, new money only. Funds may not be transferred from existing Bank of St. Croix accounts to CDs. Rates subject to change at any time. Fees may reduce earnings and principal. www.bankofstcroix.com Member FDIC. Saturday mornings, we're here for you with Weekend Edition. Two hours of news, interviews, new music, new books, rattling good stories, interesting people, challenging analysis, laughs, air shows, and donkey rides for the kids. So come along with us. Weekend Edition, Saturday mornings from NPR News. 
Weekend Edition, Saturdays at 8 a.m. on WTJX FM 93.1. The Caribbean Museum Center for the Arts, CMC Arts, invites you to celebrate 20 years at 10 Strand Street, the Blue Building in West. Join us November 4th for our 20 at 10 anniversary fete. Tickets at cmcarts.org slash events. Drink in the sunset with a champagne serenade by Derry and the unforgettable cool sounds of the Eddie Russell Band keeps the evening rolling with delectable catering from Chef George Mailer's culinary artistry with the students of the complex CTCE hospitality program and a live auction hosted by the celebrated Willard John. CMC Arts 20 at 10 Anniversary Fete, November 4th. Tickets available with weekend staycation discounts from our Frederickstead Hotel partners. Join us, cmcarts.org slash events. again everyone welcome back this is Dwayne Henry filling in for Neville James on analyze this and we're here on the NPR station in the Virgin Islands 93.1 FM today we have a special guest uh, senator former senator Alicia Barnes who is a, an environmental consultant and is here to speak on the safe drinking water act as well as the brown water slash LCR issue on St. Croix. You were mid-thought when we uh, went to break it. I want to allow you the opportunity to finish that thought, please. I don't even remember what <laughs> See, now you know how I feel. <laughs> Here's the deal, though. Uh, but yeah, but in a, in a mm -hmm. nutshell, you know, it, it, we, it, it's important, as you've asked me to sort of set the regulatory framework mm -hmm. because it's important for the affected um, customers mm -hmm. on St. Croix as well as the entire Virgin Islands community, the entire Crucian community to understand that there's a regulatory framework in place mm -hmm. that monitors the drinking water um, in the territory. Right. Which now leads us to, I think it was September 29th, uh, they were checking for the one issue of brown water, and, right. and EPA came upon what, um, what is apparently a, another issue with LCR. Could you tell us, um, give us some background on that? Okay, so basically, you know, there was, an, I guess, monitoring being conducted to um, determine, um, I, I don't know if it, I, I haven't read the monitoring plan, and let me just back up and just say something. Mm -hmm. um, any monitoring that is done on a large scale is um, done based on an approved monitoring plan with specific monitoring protocols. Um, so anything or any sort of monitoring that's ongoing, it's based on approved EPA standards, approved EPA guidance, 
um, the labs that monitor the samples or, sorry, analyze the samples uh, would do so, um, can only do so if they're an EPA-certified lab, utilize it, EPA-certified, and other um, requisite testing and analysis standards. So all of these things are governed um, very stringently by a host of protocols, plans, certification, and standards. So there was monitoring ongoing to address or to look at the groundwater issue. And during that time, additional sampling was done for lead and copper. Now, the the Safe Drinking Water Act requires monitoring for lead and copper as a, at a specific frequency. I think it's every three years you have to do that um, comprehensive system-wide um, monitoring for lead and copper under the terms of the, the guidance of the Safe Drinking Water Act. As the EPA was out, you know, collecting samples for... Um, their monitoring of this brown water issue, um, I'm assuming it was investigatory in nature. Um, samples were also collected and analyzed for lead and copper. And, and there's nothing wrong with, with that being done. Mm-hmm. And, of course, not to, you know, regurgitate what has already been um, stated mm-hmm. and reported, rather, there were elevated levels of lead. Mm-hmm. And um, I think there were some 35 or 40 samples collected. There were elevated levels of lead. Um, they identified the areas where those elevated readings occurred. Um, at that point in time, which is also consistent with sampling and monitoring protocols, they resampled um, in real time. And after resampling, and when I say resampling, at the moment, like they collected a sample, they that sample was analyzed. They collected, they they flushed the line for a little while, and then resampled at that moment. Mm-hmm. And then only two of those samples um, reported elevated or exceeding what is called MCL maximum contaminant level, mm-hmm. and uh, that's the level that the, the Safe Drinking Water has prescribed to levels that exceed safe drinking water standards. And so that's basically what what occurred and what was um, reported in mm-hmm. terms of the elevated levels of, of lead. Right. The, the EPA issued an 80-page uh, report from the Region 2 Laboratory uh, on, on October 12th. It's 80 pages long. You, know, you, you have to basically be a rocket scientist to understand most of it. But some of it is, if, you, if you've seen these things before, you kind of know how to read them. And um, I went through it, uh, not with a fine-tooth comb, but and I'm, full disclosure, I'm not a uh, physical scientist. Uh, but in addition to, I just wanted to point out that in addition to lead and copper, they also found um, an elevated level of barium, uh, selenium, and there was uh, one more, uh, but there were several other. Um, 
Oh, yeah, right. that so, they found that heavy metals that they found besides leather. Correct. Leather I was just going to use that term, heavy metals. Mm-hmm. So let let me give a, a basic example. When mm-hmm. you go to do your annual wellness check, you you know if if your healthcare provider knows what they're doing and they're they're doing it right, they would take um, blood samples from you prior to your actual wellness check. And mm-hmm. so then you will go ahead to the lab, draw blood, and then they will analyze your blood for specific parameters mm-hmm. to give an idea, an indication of what's going on in your body mm-hmm. and to, to then determine, you know, if you have issues with your kidneys, if you have high high glucose content, mm-hmm. if you have high cholesterol. So when, you know, you do an analysis, let's say for heavy metals, it's going to do, it's going to analyze a spectrum. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what you call mass spec because right. you, you're, you're looking at, you know, various right. um, potential contaminants right. in the sample. Yeah, the instrument and is a mass spectrometer that they right, use. Right, mass mm-hmm. spec. And mm-hmm. you're going to get results back specifically identifying um, various contaminant levels. Um, Going back to the blood test example, you know that when you get your lab results or your lab report, let's let's take cholesterol. I think you have the good cholesterol, the bad, bad cholesterol. It would show the levels whether you are in range, whether, hey, you need to get on some sort of you know, dietary adjustment as well as maybe um, medication to bring it back into um, acceptable levels, it's the same thing. Right. It's the same thing. So basically that's what occurred. Um, And then EPA, um, and I don't really want to, and I'm not saying, EPA then reported the Mm -hmm. information. Right. And brought us to where we are today. Right, um, right. And so I think it's important to put in context um, what occurred, the the results of the sampling, the fact that um, resampling occurred, and the results of, of the, um, the, the analysis results are pending, I do believe, and you know, WAPA is doing its due diligence in and mm-hmm. in, in trying to wrap its arms around the extent mm-hmm. of the issue. And and um, the government has stood up what is called an incident command center, which, which is, is the standard mm-hmm. protocol for incidents, and um, it's being appropriately um, handled and managed in, in, in that regard as it relates to structure, as it relates to data collection, which is the phase that it is my understanding WAPA is in right now mm-hmm. to sort of ascertain the extent of mm-hmm. the issue, um, that, that's, ongo- uh, that's ongoing as well. Right, yeah. I'm glad you, you, you made those, those points because uh, what we're trying to do here is not assign any blame to anybody, just to explain the process to people. Uh, as to how so they can understand why we're here, you know. Right. Yeah. And, they, and, you know. Mm-hmm. Right. And I truly, as as you say, you know, Dwayne, explain the process, you know, in as basic terms as possible, mm-hmm. so that you know they the, they can be an understanding first of all as to what 
occurs on a regular frequency mm-hmm. and what the um, redress can be mm-hmm. uh, moving forward. Right, right. And then we're going to be talking about some of those redress um, remedial actions, I like to call them. That's the legal right. term that we use uh, in right. the regulatory um, sphere. But um, the, uh, you know, somebody, I just had a, well, a text from a, a a regular texters listener, and he asked about the DPNR number to report brown water. I'm not sure DPNR specifically set up a a, a hotline number. I'm not sure. I, I don't have that information, but I do know that your local contact, if you are a customer of a public water system, and um, you can call down at DPNR and ask for the uh, public water section, Mr. Harold Mark at three four zero seven seven three ten eighty two. If I'm correct, is the number right? All right. So you just just report to your local agency, in other words, and um, and they'll take it from there. Um, uh, you know, because uh, they take. Um, I don't think the DPNR has a dedicated um, line for people to call. Not DPNR, but rather um, EPA. But you should always go through your local agency, and and then if it needs to be elevated up to um, the EPA, then then so, so be it. But start with your local agency if you have any complaints. Right. Uh, now the now that we're here with this, and we know this testing is going to be going on for um, like like EPA and they report that they issued uh, the cover sheet. You know they did a summary sheet. And they uh, they they spoke about some of the uh, the areas that TPNR and WAPA have suggested might be the causes, and um, you know, and 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 you know, we've been replacing water pipes along the way, and uh, over the last few years. And uh, right. uh, but it's important to note that all of the pipes have not been replaced. As a matter of fact, I don't think fifty percent have been replaced because uh, right. WAPA itself says this is a very long project, right? So let me let me speak to a couple of things they're doing, if I may. You know, mm-hmm. um, let me just talk about the long term because mm-hmm. you know residents they want information now in terms of. A plan of action mm-hmm. to bring immediate relief, absolutely, right? Absolutely, absolutely. And so, so before I get to what I think would be plausible mm-hmm. recommendations and a plausible approach, mm-hmm. I would just like to, and again, I'm speaking on behalf of Alicia Bond. Of course. <laughs> um, so I don't want um, it to be misconstrued that I'm speaking for DPNR, WAPA, or any other entity. Right. I'm speaking as a subject matter expert in this space, credentials mm-hmm. and experience. So long-term, um, I think the public may know, the public is not aware, the EPA, sorry, FEMA, has approved what is called prudent replacement of the entire portable water system on St. Croix. Mm -hmm. And just to give some context, uh, after the storms of 2017, a determination was made that instead of FEMA just giving money to the U.S. Virgin Islands and Puerto Rico to rebuild the way it was, Mm 
Mm-hmm. Um, a determination was made under the Budget Bipartisan Act to give monies to the U.S. Virgin Islands and Puerto Rico to rebuild resiliently and to code and standards. Because mm-hmm. so much of our infrastructure um, were outside of um, industry standards and were not up to code. So instead of just giving us money to rebuild build back what you had, um, we were given an opportunity and have been given an opportunity through the um, through the allowances and the budget bipartisan act to build back resiliently and to also build back better than we were before because we're now bringing our systems up to code and mm-hmm. appropriate industry standards, right? Mm-hmm. And prudent replacement basically means that it's more prudent to replace the entire system than mm-hmm. to repair specific compromised sections. Mm-hmm. The, way, the water system is a system. So what you do upstream is going to impact downstream. Mm-hmm. So it makes more logical sense to replace the system. It's more prudent to do that than to do these piecemeal repairs. Right. So that is the long-term plan. And the scoping and design and um, everything that, that goes into that Herculean task is ongoing right now. Right. But that's the long term. And residents, although are happy to hear that, yeah, whippy, uh, residents <laughs> also want to know and need to know, well, what do we do in the interim, right? right? And what do we do right now to address this concern, even as we await um, the analysis results of the second um, round of sampling um, that WAPA is presently engaged in. So the long-term fix is there, um, and it's funded, Mm -hmm. and um, or the approval for a certain amount of funding is in place. Mm -hmm. And so... That's an ongoing process. Good. Um, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Great. So that's, mm. that's long-term. Right. Um, what what yeah. we're going to do, we're going to take another break. When we come back okay. in the other section, then we're going to go to these remedial actions. Okay. Thank you. Okay. So thanks. Center and the VI Energy Office, in partnership with the Worldwide Universities Network, are hosting the second annual VI Energy Fair. There will be live demonstrations, interactive exhibits on energy and sustainability, and community leaders on site to discuss the territory's efforts to reduce energy costs. The fair takes place at the UVI Sports and Fitness Center on St. Thomas on October 28th from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. For more information, visit cgtc-usvi.org. 
With so much going on, it can be hard to keep up with who's doing what and why. I'm Aisha Roscoe, host of Weekend Edition Sunday, letting you know whether it's news from across the country and the world or a deep conversation about a novel, movie, or music, we got you. Grab your coffee or your earbuds and tune in to Weekend Edition from NPR News. Sundays at 8 a.m. right here on WTJX-FM, your NPR station in the Virgin Islands. The Caribbean Museum Center for the Arts, CMC Arts, invites you to celebrate 20 years at 10 Strand Street, the Blue Building in West. Join us November 4th for our 20 at 10 anniversary fete. Tickets at cmcarts.org slash events. Drink in the sunset with a champagne serenade by Derry and the unforgettable cool sounds of the Eddie Russell Band keeps the evening rolling with delectable catering from Chef George Mailer's culinary artistry with the students of the complex CTCE hospitality program and a live auction hosted by the celebrated Willard John. CMC Arts 20 at 10 Anniversary Fete, November 4th. Tickets available with weekend staycation discounts from our Frederickstead Hotel partners. Join us, cmcarts.org slash events. Good morning, everyone, again. Dwayne Henry filling in for Neville James on Analyze This. Uh, 93.1, your NPR station in the Virgin Islands. Before we go back to Senator Barnes talking about the water issue, public water, portable water issue on St. Croix, let me just remind everyone of the return of the Taste of Two Islands. It's a culinary feast for the season. That's on December 14th on St. Thomas at the MCM Center and Tilly School from 6 to 10 p.m. Early bird tickets are still available at $50, and the ticket outlets at Chelsea Drug Store in Red Hook, Barefoot uh, Buddha in Haven Site, Bonitas Cantina in Niski, and uh, those um, early bird tickets are going to be on sale through November 14th. You can also purchase online through PayPal at wtjx.org slash taste or call 340-774-6255. Okay, we were speaking with Senator Alicia Barnes about the um, portable water issue on St. Croix, and uh, we spoke earlier about, she spoke about the, the regulatory and the legal framework that, 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 that covers this area, and then she spoke about uh, the, uh, the technical, the sampling requirements and how sampling is done, and now we're going to go into... What, what what we can look forward to? Uh, what are some of the actions that can be taken by entities and, and, and also by individuals? So th- I think this is probably the what the public needs to know more than anything else is where do we go from here? Right, absolutely. And um, before we went to break, um, Dwayne, um, we spoke about the prudent replacement of the entire wastewater system mm-hmm. that's um, 
going to happen, but it's not going to happen tomorrow. It's not going to happen next month. Um, that's going to be a Herculean capital project mm-hmm. that has to be appropriately designed, mm-hmm. um, bid it out. Um, and if you think traffic is bad, no. Right. <laughs> but, hey, so, but the, the if, before we can talk about remedial actions, whether you broke up a little bit there. If you could um, restate that again. Okay. Can you hear me Yes, now? this is better. Oh. Okay. I said before we can even go into the remedial part of it or corrective action or in layman's terms, what can I do in the meantime? Mm-hmm. We have to talk about cause, right? Mm-hmm. Just like your body, right? Mm-hmm. If you go to the doctor and the doctor says your cholesterol is high, it's probably high because of diet, because of lack of exercise, or a combination thereof. Right. So then the corrective action would be to, you know, change your diet, increase your physical activity, and you may have to take medication. Right. But in order to get to the corrective action, you have to know the cause. So in this particular instance, we know the cause. We have an outdated, antiquated, dilapidated water distribution system, okay? Mm -hmm. It's nobody's fault. It's just over time, the system has deteriorated to where we are right now. And basically, the long-term solution is to replace it in its entirety, right? Right. The short-term solution would be to incorporate or implement some mechanical fixes and some chemical fixes. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I want to speak to in terms of what do we do in the meantime, right? Mm -hmm. So to to not get too technical, let me just say... Please don't. But the water... Okay, let me give you an example. If you go to the grocery store or to a restaurant or anywhere where there's food and you're starving, mm-hmm. you're going to overorder or mm-hmm. over shop, right? Right. If you go to a restaurant and you're totally, you're going to order everything on the menu if you're starving <laughs> hungry. Right. If you go to the grocery store and you're famished, you're going to end up over shopping, you go in for one thing, you come out for 10 things, right? Mm-hmm. The water produced by WAPA, right? It, it's very nutrient deficient, right? It, right. It's desalinated, it, it's stripped of all mineral content. It's very pure, clean water. Right. Whether it's coming off of the RO plant, the reverse osmosis technology that they're using now, mm-hmm. or whether it was the vapor compression desalination units that were used in the past. Right. It's very, very pure, mm-hmm. clean. Just H2O. Water. Right? Mm-hmm. It's H2O, right? That's it. It's nutrient deficient, right? Mm-hmm. So... Consider so. Let's let's say that the water is hungry, or the term that we use is aggressive, right? Mm-hmm. It it's hungry for nutrients. It, it's hungry for some sort of mineral content or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. So when the water now 
comes into contact with these compromised lines that we have, it's going to react with mm-hmm. those compromised lines with a reaction that we call corrosion, right? Mm-hmm. That corrosion now is going to result in a couple of things. It's going to result in suspended solids, that rust color that you see. Mm-hmm. It's going to result in that. But it's also going to result in some leaching where the actual mineral content in these lines, because the water is so hungry, mm-hmm. it's going to know the water is going to grab it because it's hungry mm-hmm. for nutrients, for minerals, right? right? And so... Because we have the compromised lines, because we have this aggressive water, and there's nothing wrong with the water being nutrient deficient, right? right. That's you coming off of a desalination process. You want mm-hmm. pure water. Right. But recognizing that we have compromised lines, mm-hmm. we need to do what is called have some mineral additives to our water coming off of the WAPA um, RO plan mm-hmm. to make it less aggressive, to make it less nutrient hungry. Mm-hmm. Am I making sense so far? Y- yes. And I, I just want to add it. Stateside, you see that a lot. That, that cl- classic example is when they add fluoride to water in the top Correct, systems in the states. Right. Yes. So the EPA, the Safe Drinking Water Act, is aware of this. Mm-hmm. And so the Safe Drinking Water Act has made provisions for safe nutrient or mineral additives to desalinated water, mm-hmm. be it phosphate, be it magnesium, calcium, at specific dosages um, based on certain parameters, right? right? And it's all prescribed and can be easily done um, as it relates to understanding the ratio as regarding the additive to volume of water. So Mm -hmm. that's one of the fixes. You can, from a chemical perspective, mineralize the water so it is less aggressive, so Mm -hmm. it is not as reactive to our compromised line. Recognizing Mm -hmm. that we have compromised lines, the feed lines are compromised, in order to minimize it's not going to totally eliminate right but to to minimize it's just like again you go out to dinner you know the proverb says when you eat before kings you put a knife to your you you curb your appetite right you don't go out and order a whole spread right so if you're going out to dinner with a king eat a granola bar before you go (laughs) so you're not starving right? right same thing if we have compromise lines Mm-hmm. And we have aggressive water, mm-hmm. and that interaction that 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 interaction causes corrosion. Mm-hmm. Let's do something to make the water less aggressive. Right, Makes same sense. thing. You might go out to dinner. You may still be hungry, but you're not going to be as hungry if, as if you ate right. a granola bar before. Right. So, on the plant side, you know, a mineralizer or mineral additives can be added to the water at various um, points mm, in the in distribution, the distribution. Mm-hmm. system, beginning with the source of the distribution system mm-hmm. at the at the RO facility or the treatment facility. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's a chemical suggestion right. or recommendation or mm-hmm. interim measure mm-hmm. that can be used to 
to minimize to some degree this issue that we're having with the brown water as well as the leaching of minerals into the water. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying it's going to totally eliminate it, right. but it would to us to mitigate. Mitigate. That's the legal term. So that, that's one thing. Another thing that we can look at from, and that's the chemical side, mm-hmm. from the mechanical side, certain things can be done, especially as it relates to the color, rate, the, the color issue. You can do filtration, right? Mm-hmm. Um, at different points through the distribution system, right? Mm-hmm. You can also, let me use this example. You know, long ago, we would make, you know, well, I grew up poor, so you <laughs> t- you make sugar water, right? Yes, of course, take, yeah. <laughs> I take a tablespoon uh-huh. of brown sugar uh-huh. and mix it in water, mm-hmm. and you, it, it's a beverage, right? Yes, yes, and it gives you calories to go through exactly. the day. Exactly. And mm-hmm. at the end of the, at the bottom of the glass, you'll see some dregs is what we would call it, right? Because mm-hmm. maybe the brown sugar was a little dirty. Mm-hmm. So you would see some dregs. Right. So to mitigate that, you would, remember we would use a strainer? Okay. So to sift off some of that, you know, residual. So if you, if you're looking at Frederick's there and you know that that's the end of the system, and that's where, for lack of a better characterization, mm-hmm. all the dregs, you know, in terms of what's in the water. Just have some filtration systems or some sort of mechanical um, mechanism in place to remove those suspended solids from the water. Mm-hmm. So filtration systems, sediment traps throughout the distribution system, prescribed location based on gravity feed, based on flow. You know, the engineers can do the appropriate calculations to determine what size filtration, where best located, to bring some some interim relief while we gear towards this total prudent replacement of the entire system. Right. You asked about, and so those are things that can be done on the WAPA side in right. terms of mm-hmm. um, enhancing um, the system in the interim to bring some degree of, to mitigate this right. issue. Mm-hmm. Flushing is also something that can be done. And they've been if doing that. Know- right. If you notice with the EPA's sampling, they sampled and then they flushed. Mm-hmm. They, ra- uh, they ran the water for a little while mm-hmm. and then they resampled, right? Mm-hmm. And when they resampled, the levels were, again, below um, right. below regulatory concern limits, for lack of a better... Right. Yeah, they dropped the drop significantly. Mm-hmm. Right. So then flushing is obviously another way um, to be able to ensure that the any contaminants that may be in the lines as a result of what we described, the aggressive nature of the water reacting with the compromised lines, Mm-hmm. To, to flush those contaminants out of the, the system before use, right? Mm-hmm. It can be done on both ends. It can mm-hmm. be done on the WAPA side. Um, the WAPA can install automatic mm-hmm. flush, fl- flush points mm-hmm. where automatically at a, at a desired preset frequency, the lines mm-hmm. flush. And then on the consumer side, on, mm-hmm. on the homeowner side, um, you run your water, you know, a certain amount of time 
before use. Now, remember, I haven't seen it lately, but remember back in the day we would see like WAPA would send out boil water notifications? Yes, I remember, yeah. <laughs> it's been a while. Yeah. And so basically, you know, boil water notification would be as a result of their monitoring mm-hmm. if there were high coliform um, bacteria of bi- mm-hmm. biological contaminants, E. coli or whatever, mm-hmm. then they would give that notification. So maybe there needs to be some, you know, flush line notifications. Okay. Reminding people to do that. Yeah. Now you're going to hear the point. The question is going to be, well, my flushing is metered. Like when I use my yep. water, it's yeah. metered. But yeah. they're running water because of mm-hmm. your problem. Mm-hmm. Who pays for that? Mm-hmm. That's where it comes into, you know, then there needs to be some sort of interim abatement. Yes. In terms of cost, mm-hmm. not maybe mm-hmm. the entire cost, but in mm-hmm. terms of if, if we know it's going to be about this amount of mm-hmm. gallons per week or per month mm-hmm. to flush the line. 30 seconds. Okay. Okay. Listen, uh, we're going to have to go at this point. We got a break for commercial. Uh, It it was good having you. uh, And we'll get back to you on the other end. Okay, Senator Barnes? Absolutely. Thank you so much for your time. All right. Okay. Okay. Bye bye. And uh, we're going to be going to break in a few seconds. But uh, we do have a listener on the line. Listener, we just um, hold our caller, rather. Hold on, and we'll pick you up at the the 9 o'clock hour before we begin our another guest. I want to give you the opportunity to have your say. But... uh Views and opinions expressed on Analyze This are entirely those of the on-air participants and do not reflect those of the station's board, management, staff, or underwriters. The Caribbean Museum Center for the Arts, CMC Arts, invites you to celebrate 20 years at 10 Strand Street, the Blue Building in West. Join us November 4th for our 20 at 10 anniversary fete tickets at cmcarts.org slash events. Drink in the sunset with a champagne serenade by Derry and the unforgettable cool sounds of the Eddie Russell Band keeps the evening rolling with delectable catering from Chef George Mailer's culinary artistry with the students of the complex CTCE hospitality program and a live auction hosted by the celebrated Willard John. CMC Arts 20 at 10 anniversary fete November 4th. Tickets available with weekend staycation discounts from our Fredericksted Hotel partners. Join us. cmcarts.org slash events. 